Happy Sunday, everybody. Another week, another episode of Center of Attention. Please go follow the social medias on Twitter at COAPod73 and at Jimmy Pilato. Instagram at Proud underscore WAP. TikTok at Jimmy Pilato. Go check out the TikTok Dom just posted. His is uh, at DomPilato63 on TikTok. And we did a little dancing video yesterday that we'd been promising for a while, but we finally got around to doing it. Uh, he went back to Greeley, actually, which I think is a good thing. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna miss him while he's there. Not like they, not like he's super far away or I can't visit or anything. But uh, now he's not my roommate anymore. I'm not living at the house. But I think he's in a good place now. He's gonna start off-season training here coming up. Um, yeah, kind of settling in a little bit. Work last week was fairly hectic. We thought that we were going to have a corporate walkthrough, um, but then they never ended up showing up, so all that hard work and everybody running around and screaming was kind of for nothing, but the store looked pretty good, and I'm learning a lot, so I feel like I'm finally starting to get the hang of that kind of stuff, and now here we are, recording another podcast. Another sports podcast. While there are no sports going on, um, gonna get a little creative on this one, just because uh, I still gotta wait for the sports leagues to restart, which won't be until mid to late July, I believe. Um, and I didn't have time to look up an obscure sport, so call a couple different audibles. I figured I might talk a little bit about some college football coming up, because I haven't talked about that since I think. Um, last time I was focusing on college football was Gunnison Sports Talk Radio, so I haven't yet, I've, I've, it's a long night, I'm recording this right now at 10 p.m., um, just got off of work, so I haven't talked specifically about college football since I was back at school, uh, in February, and, um, I feel like at this point it seems like everything is going to be coming back, so might as well talk a little bit about it, and, uh, yeah, we'll do another team breakdown. Think, uh, thinking about doing. Um, I guess I, I can. Well, I'll do the. Uh, I'll finish out the AFC North moving forward. So, I'll do the Browns tonight, and then um, ha- I'll probably. I think I'm thinking about starting like a movie sports movie tournament. And each week I'll go over a couple of the matchups. I think probably do 16, a 16 movie bracket. Um, but I'll be I'll search up some of the movies that I think I'll put on there, and then I'll I'll put up a bracket and start going through that. So that's what's coming up, coming at you right now. Um, first, I, I guess we'll start off by talking about one of the bigger sports controversies over the last couple of days. Everybody remembers the Houston Astros and. Uh, their sign-stealing scandal that happened uh, back, it got unearthed back in, I believe, January, and recently, I was on um, Twitter last Thursday, and uh, the Yankees apparently were involved in their own sign-stealing controversy. Not sure if it's 100% accurate, like what we know the Astros was. Um, Honestly, it's kind of interesting, because if you are familiar with uh, baseball, you know that anytime somebody gets on second base, you're always going to have to try and avoid them being able to pick up your signs. It's I played catcher, so when somebody got second base when I was playing catcher, we normally would go out to the mound, decide which sign would be the hot sign. So you'd give three numbers before the pitch is thrown, and you guys decide in that little meeting which one is going to actually be the pitch that you want to be thrown. So I would go one, three, two for one, and if we decided that the second number would be hot, then whatever the third pitch or whatever we decided pitch number three is is the one that I wanted him to throw. So... Um, everybody knows that this is something that happens in baseball. It's not exclusive to one team. 
and it's fairly common. The thing that made the Astros such a big deal was that they were using video cameras and then also signaling uh, through banging on trash cans as to what pitch was coming. And it did it. I'm not going to say that the Astros weren't talented that year, but it did help them a lot. Um, It did help them a lot in trying to, in their quest that year, and ended up getting to and winning a World Series against the L.A. Dodgers. But when you, uh, I'll pull up the split real quick, because it's one of the more outlandish stats that I had seen, especially in baseball, which is basically a, um, stats-driven sport. So in 2017, when the Astros were allegedly doing this cheating, Jose Altuve at home, which is where they had the equipment to set up, At home when they had, that's where they had their equipment set up, Jose Altuve was batting 472 with a 513 on base percentage, a 1.5141 slugging percentage, had 6 home runs and 12 RBIs. On On the road, he had a 143 batting average, a 268 on base percentage, 229 slugging percentage and 497 on base percentage with one home run and two RBIs. Carlos Correa, one of the other uh, big stars, big bats on that team, at home had a batting average of 371, 421 on base percentage, 743 slugging percentage, and had three home runs and 10 RBIs. On the road, he had a 211 batting average, 231 on base percentage, 395 slugging percentage, and then had two home runs and four RBIs. So you can continue to go down the roster. Everyone's splits were this way because when you know what pitch is coming, it's obviously very, very easy to um, manipulate and and make sure that these stats are going to be the way that they are. Now, for the Yankees, I don't think that this is there. There's some okay. There was a letter written to the Yankees regarding the findings of a 2017 investigation into the club's alleged sign-stealing program may not have been much may not be much of a secret at all so there was a letter written during the 20 to the Yankees that Rob Manfred had written who was the commissioner of the MLB wrote to the Yankees saying that they would be investigating the 2017 season as there was a tip that the Yankees were also doing their own sign-stealing scandal. As of right now, it has not been confirmed nor denied that this was something that happened. Uh, It's not as bad, I don't think, as the Astros scandal. I think at this point, because I don't think that the Yankees used video cameras and the Yankees didn't take it and won a world championship with it, didn't take it away from a team who was possibly more deserving. I think that's where a lot of people had a problem with the Astros scandal is that they used they cheated so well that they got a World Series out of it. And nobody enjoys when a cheater I mean we have the saying in America cheaters never prosper. Well that year they did and they won a World Series championship over probably one of the best teams ever assembled in the 2017 Los Angeles Dodgers. I mean just with the amount of star power that they had on that team. Let's pull up some of the names. Andre Ethier, Justin Turner, Chase Utley, Logan Forsyth, Clayton Kershaw, Chris Taylor, Hyunjin Ryu, Curtis Granderson, Yasiel Puig, Adrian Gonzalez, Corey Seager, Jacques Peterson, Yasmani Grandal, Cody Bellinger, just star power out the wazoo for this 2017. Hugh Darvish was also on that team. Matt Kemp was also on that team. So there was no 
talent-wise, there's no reason why this team never won a World Series now. You could say that they were robbed from... I think that it's very safe to say that they were robbed of a World Series championship. But, I mean, the Yankees that year were set up pretty well, pretty stacked as well. I think a lot of people were just upset that we didn't get to see these teams actually play against each other. Yes, they played against each other, but we weren't actually seeing them compete. It was one team, what team could cheat the best that year. And if you remember anything about cheating scandals in the past, it doesn't go over very well. Um, the public doesn't enjoy it. Basically, only that that fan base likes it, and, and that's about it. So that's the big thing coming out in sports this week. Also, I mentioned it on Thursday's podcast, but the biggest fight in British heavyweight boxing history and possibly boxing history as a whole uh, just got signed, I believe it was last Thursday or last Wednesday. Tyson Fury will be fighting Anthony Joshua for all of the world heavyweight championships. They're going to unify all the belts. Uh, Fury obviously coming off of that huge knockout victory over Deontay Wilder earlier this year. Anthony Joshua just got all of his belts back from Andy Ruiz in Dubai also earlier this year. So it's going to be, um, it'll be a, a really good fight. I'm going to pull up the tail of the tape and we'll see. Fury versus Joshua. These are the two biggest British boxing icons at this point probably biggest boxing icons in the world. Anthony Joshua, before he got knocked out by Andy Ruiz, was on his way to being the next Mike Tyson. Won his heavyweight championships from Vladimir Klitschko. Okay, the tale of the tape. Anthony Joshua is a year younger at 30. He has 24 fights. Fury has 31 professional fights. Anthony Joshua is 23-1. Fury is 30-0-1. Joshua and Fury both have 21 knockouts. Joshua is 6'6". Tyson Fury is 6'9". Um, this has them in stone. So, Joshua weighs 16 stone. I'm going to convert that real quick. Convert stone. Fourteen pounds in a U.S. or fourteen U.S. pounds in a stone. So, Joshua is about two forty, and Fury is nineteen stone. Fury is about two eighty. So, he's obviously, the bigger guy. Joshua is a little bit better put together. Fury is a little bit more doughy. But Joshua looks like he was carved out of a marble statue. Uh, Fury is the WBC Ring Magazine World Champion, also the Lineal Heavyweight Champion. And Joshua is the WBA, IBF, and WBO. Uh, both orthodox stances, but Fury kind of switches back and forth, has that long reach. Anthony Joshua, much more of an orthodox fighter, has a big right hand and a lot of power. Um, but can't really take a punch, so it, it's an interesting fight at this point. Fury cracked the Deontay Wilder code. I thought that Deontay Wilder was going to be able to finish him in their rematch fight because uh, he almost did it in the first fight. But um, in the second fight, Fury was able to bum rush Deontay Wilder, not let him get to the end of that punch, which is where he has most of the power. And he was able to take him out, I believe, in the ninth round. So if Fury comes out and is able to do that against Joshua, Joshua fights a little bit differently than Deontay Wilder did. But if he's able to do that and bum rush Joshua, I give this fight to Fury all day. Joshua in the last Andy Ruiz fight was not boxing as much of a brawler style. He was more using his jab, staying on the end of his punches. But when you have a guy who's 6'9", 280 pounds coming at you, it's difficult to keep him off of you. It's difficult to keep him away, keep him at the end of your punches. So who, 
who knows what's going to happen at that point. Uh, anyway, my early prediction, I think Tyson Fury is going to win this fight. He hasn't lost yet for a reason. And Anthony Joshua, though he did just re retain his titles and avenge his loss to Andy Ruiz, in that Ruiz fight he showed that he, he is a little bit chinny. And he's taken a lot of big punches from a lot of big guys. And I, I don't know if this is starting to catch up with him or not. But for that fight, I'm, I'm picking Tyson Fury um, in the early early on. Let's see if I can find the odds. Fury Joshua odds. Tyson Fury is the favorite at minus 200. Honestly, not a bad fight to put money down on Anthony Joshua at plus 180. It's kind of even money, but if you're going to make some money, I think that you would probably make more of it. Uh, if you if you bet on Anthony Joshua. But now let's talk about something that might not happen, going from stuff that is current to kind of predicting the future and talking about some college football. According to NCAA.com, Clemson is the preseason number one. They were 14 and one in 2019. Obviously, had that two and a half year undefeated streak before getting beaten in New Orleans by probably the greatest college football season, college football team um, in the LSU Tigers last year, behind Joe Burrow, Ed Ogeron. I think that that's probably the best college football season any team has had, beating, I think, five of the top ten teams uh, when it was all said and done. But they're they're kind of they are going to come into 2020 ranked number one. They still got Trevor Lawrence. Uh, he's a very big Heisman favorite at this point. Um, and then he still has Justin Ross. Lost T. Higgins to... Uh, Lost T. Higgins to the NFL draft, and the Bengals ended up picking him up in the second round. They still have Travis Etienne, also a Heisman, Heisman favorite. Uh, he's the Clemson Tigers' all-time leading rusher. And uh, no turnover on the offensive line. Losing some defensive standouts, but Brent Venables is probably the best defensive coordinator in the country, so I have faith that he'll be able to hold that team together. I, I agree with Cle the rankings. The only thing that I don't like about Clemson is that they play in the ACC, so their conference is very weak. So they basically get a 12-week bye. Um, they get some, sometimes some teams test them, and they're going to get everybody's best shot. But Dabu Sweeney makes sure that they're, his guys are ready to go all the time, so it's very unlikely that there's going to be a big upset at any point. Ohio State is going to be ranked two going into the next season. I mean, after what they did last year, having Justin Fields come back, uh, they're not going to have J.K. Dobbins anymore, and they also lost Chase Young and Sean Wade. So I think they're going to have a little bit of a tougher season than Clemson will have. They lost a little bit more key guys, and but Ryan Day surprised me last year. I think he. If he didn't win Coach of the Year, I'm going to Google that real quick. 2019. Let's see. Mike, you know, Ed Ogeron got Coach of the Year. But I think if you were going to give it to anybody else, you should have given it to Ryan Day. I think Ogeron got it because they did win the championship, went undefeated. But what he was able to do and keep that program the way that it was going after losing Urban Meyer fairly suddenly, I think. I don't know if anybody was expecting him to leave or not. Uh, it should have been because amidst any kind of foul play rumors, he dipped at the first chance that he gets. 
But I think Ryan Day will keep the team fairly competitive. I don't see them finishing in the playoff. I think the Big Ten is a little bit too stout for that, but they've surprised me before. And yes, I'm not a very big Ohio State fan. If you listen to Gunnison Sports Talk Radio, I basically said that every chance that I get. But I try and be fair when it comes to them because for as much as I don't like them, they are very talented and they're always very good. You know, I don't remember the last time I can remember them finishing outside of the top 25. Alabama's going into next season ranked number three. Tua is no longer there. Um, Lost Jerry Judy and... Henry Ruggs, um, and they lost a couple defensive players as well. Mac Jones is is a decent quarterback. Um, he's slated to be the starter, I would say. And in the bowl game, he had 327 yards and three touchdowns, and they beat Michigan. Um, they also have another five-star quarterback. They get a linebacker, Dylan Moses, back, and uh, NCAA.com thinks that he's going to help them out a lot. So, and obviously Nick Saban is going to be able to keep that team, keep that program moving in the right direction. Uh, he was able to win a national championship pulling Jalen Hurts, who was, I think, 23-2 and two as a starter, and putting in Tua. So I'm never going to count them out. I think Alabama possibly should have been ranked higher than Ohio State. But with the way last season ended and I'm not going to put any of the blame on Nick Saban because they lost their star quarterback but I think that they should probably go into next season ranked number two definitely see them in the playoff discussion from the start of the season we'll see how their quarterback situation works out though number four is LSU went 15-0 last season national championship like I said probably the greatest college football season I can remember seeing they are now. They've now lost Joe Burrow. Uh, Jamar Chase, and, and a lot of their receivers. They also lost their defensive coordinator Dave Aranda, who's now the head coach at Baylor. So they're going to be in a little bit. Uh, I think of a tailspin to start off with. I think they'll right the ship by the end of the season, but I don't see them competing for a playoff spot. They could possibly come back and make it to the conference championship, and I think that they're going to be hell-bent on beating Alabama, especially now that it's going to be back at Death Valley this year. So they're going to be on a mission, but I think they lost too many of their components from last season to really be considered as a, a potential favorite for the national championship. Number five, Georgia, 12-2 and two last season. Lost Jake Fromm and DeAndre Swift. Uh, and some experienced offensive linemen to the NFL draft. But they've been very good uh, in the past, so I think that they'll be able to reload a little bit. They got a transfer from Wake Forest, Jamie Newman. Um, So we'll see. They're they're still going to have one of the top defenses in the country. They didn't lose too many guys from their defense last year. So I I think that it's fair to say that they're also in the contention to win the SEC championship. They don't really have to go through anybody that difficult. I think the best team that they have to play and beat is Florida. They had that surprising loss to South Carolina last year, but I think Kirby Smart will not let his guys lose focus like that again. I think that he'll have them ready to go for the upcoming fall. Oregon is going to be at number six, which is interesting because they are – not going to have Justin Herbert anymore. They do have a lot. According to this website, it's going to be strange not seeing Justin Herbert at Oregon anymore, but besides that, the Ducks are loaded and will be clear Pac-12 favorites. It's kind of an oxymoron because Pac-12 is super soft. Pac-12 is softer than the ACC. Um, They do have a very good defensive end coming back and when you can dominate in the pass rush game that helps a lot and like I said they don't play anybody in their conference so I can see them competing for a conference championship they'll just have to go undefeated to be able to make it into the playoff Oklahoma is going to be number seven love what Lincoln Riley's been able to do they don't have Jalen Hurts or CeeDee Lamb but you know they have Spencer Rattler who's going to possibly be taking over they just got to get better on defense. If they get better on defense, Oklahoma is the best team in the country. Their offense is always the number one offense, but they they got to be able to stop some people. 
can't try and outrace everybody in, when you get down to the crunch time games. Penn State is coming in at number eight for the preseason rankings. Uh, got the best linebacker in college football, possibly. He had 14 tackles, two sacks, and two forced fumbles in the Cotton Bowl last year. Sean Clifford is going to be in his second year as a starter. Uh, they still have really good running backs. No Saquon Barkley, but they still got really good running backs. But they do have a tough schedule. Virginia Tech, Michigan, Iowa, and Ohio State all by the end of October. So they go back to back to back in really big games. Uh, James Franklin is, is going to have to get those guys ready to go right away. No uh, waiting around for the Nittany Lions. Florida surprised me a little bit last year. They uh, still got to be able to beat Georgia if they're going to be able to go back to the conference championship game. But they finished 11-2 and last year. Kyle Trask looked pretty good when he took over for Felipe Franks. He had almost 3,000 yards and 25 touchdowns, only seven interceptions. Um, they did lose P. Ryan to the NFL. Uh, he was a really good running back, kind of did it all for him, blocked, caught the ball out of the backfield, ran it down the field as well. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with them moving forward. But if they can figure out Georgia, they're obvious favorites in the SEC East. And they did kind of dominate Virginia Tech in their bowl game. I think it's difficult for an SEC team to go up against an ACC team unless it's Clemson and be compared fairly to them. But Virginia Tech wasn't bad, and they kind of got worked over by by Florida last year. Rounding out the top ten, Auburn at 9-4 last year. Got one of the best young quarterbacks in the game in college football. And Bo Nix, he's going into his sophomore season, probably get a little bit better than he was last year, a little bit more consistent. They did beat Oregon last year in the very first uh, first game of the season, beat Alabama in the Iron Bowl when nobody gave them a chance to, knocked Alabama out of the playoff contention. And they kept it close with LSU and Georgia. Um, they did lose to Minnesota in the Outback Bowl, but I think Minnesota was way better than anybody gave them credit for. They were super underrated all last season, so that doesn't. I think that's not a mark on their record. I think that they're just going to have to get over the hump a little bit. I could see them having a ten-win season. It's difficult. It's difficult to do, especially in the Southeastern Conference. But they got the talent to do it, and they were. I think it probably was a case of them last season being too dumb to know that they shouldn't be in some of those close games with LSU and Georgia, but now they're probably going to have the confidence that they can go up against anybody after not getting blown out by those two powerhouse teams. Number 11, Notre Dame, got blown out by Michigan, but they actually won out and went 11-2 and after that. Um... They should be. They should have a good offense. Ian Book is coming back, their quarterback. Um, they don't have that great of a secondary. Their schedule also kind of sucks. They play Navy in Dublin. We'll see if that still happens with the, the virus and everything. And they're going to be playing Wisconsin in Green Bay, and then they host Clemson. They play a lot of ACC teams, so they're going to have to. They have to schedule big teams in their out-of-conference games to be in consideration for some postseason play and some postseason love, but uh, looks like their schedule will be a little bit difficult. The game in Dublin is a toss-up, especially Navy's no slouch, even though they're a military academy, but playing in a foreign country is that gives evens the field a little bit more because you're going to have to not you're not going to know the schedule going into that game. Uh, Wisconsin is, I think, one of the top. They're in their top 16. I think they should be top 10. They had a lot of close losses last year to really good teams. So playing them at Green Bay is going to be interesting. And then home against Clemson. Clemson can go in there and just smack them around a little bit. You remember two years ago in the college football playoff in the first round, uh, that was Trevor Lawrence's kind of coming out party in the postseason. They absolutely dominated the Irish. So. I don't really put too much faith in Notre Dame. I think that they could be very good, but Brian Kelly kind of gets a, a pass being an independent team, not in a conference and not having to deal with the conference championship game at all. Oklahoma State at number 12. 
I don't like this one because I think they should be behind Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin should probably be at 11 and possibly maybe even 10. Um, they did go 10-4 and four last season, had one more win than Auburn. So I think that that's where they belong. Oklahoma State was 8-5 and five last year. They play in a kind of a weak conference, no defense in the Big 12. Um, Chubber Hubbard is a star for them at the running back position. He rushed for over 2,000 yards last year, 6, 6.4 yards per attempt, and 21 touchdowns. Spencer Sanders, Tylen Wallace. Uh, Spencer Sanders quarterback, Tylen Wallace, the wide receiver. Got a pretty potent tandem for them. And you know that Gundy's going to throw the ball around the yard. Uh, I just don't see that. I don't see why they got ranked at number 12. Texas A&M and Texas 13 and 14. Also, I don't think I think they're a little bit high off of them, off of those two. I love Sam Ellinger at Texas, but last season was very disappointing, um, and they did get blown out in the Alamo Bowl by Utah. So actually, they beat Utah in the Alamo Bowl, which is that was the weird part is. They had such a poor season and then showed out in the bowl game. They should have been in contention for the playoff, in my opinion. They had Sam Ellinger, who's kind of like the new generation Tim Tebow. And he's going to be a senior this coming year. He's just got to stay healthy. He's got to make sure the guys around him will uh, continue to move forward. I like it when Texas is good. I love it when Texas is in the top ten in college football. I think it's more exciting. Um just don't quite see that happening for them. Michigan at 15, I think that's bullshit. I think they should be dropped down way lower. Uh, no set quarterback now that Shea Patterson is gone. I mean, who else do they have? They still can't beat Ohio State. They can't even keep it close with Ohio State anymore. Jim Harbaugh should have been fired three years ago after he still has not beaten the Buckeyes. So I don't even think – I think they should be in the top 20. I think they should be 20 or – 20 to 25. I don't think they should be in the top 20. Wisconsin, I really like Wisconsin. I think that they're a very solid team. No Jonathan Taylor. Um, they also lost Chris Warren and Zach Bond. So now they're going to have to rebuild some of their defense. They got Jack Cohn. And uh, they got a tough schedule, but I think that they should be able I think they should be top 11 and I think they should be able to move up the board a little bit their defense was super solid last year and I don't think they're going to get that much worse 17 North Carolina they were a little bit of a surprise last year their quarterback Sam Howell I think is besides Bo Nix one of the best young quarterbacks in the game he in his freshman season threw for 3,600 yards, 38 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, and he has a lot of talent around him. Their running backs, Michael Carter and Javante Williams, almost had 2,000 total yards combined, and uh, he also had a pair of 1,000-yard receivers. So the Tar Heels, you know, they're a basketball school, but they should be looking pretty good on the football field this coming season as well. Minnesota at 18, I think that's kind of, that's as much bullshit as Michigan being at 15. Uh, P.J. Fleck showed that he's a hell of a coach, can get his guys going in the right direction. Consistency would be the one thing that kind of hurts Minnesota is that they're not always the most consistent team. And who knows if last year was an aberration or if they're going to be able to come back and can and have replicate the same success. They still have Tanner Morgan, their quarterback from last year, had 3,200 passing yards and 30 touchdowns. They did lose a lot of defensive talent. Antoine Winfield Jr. Um, is no longer going to be there. I believe they lost a wide receiver as well. Um, but I have I have trust in P.J. Fleck. He's going to continue to row the boat. And I think Minnesota will surprise some people. I think they're going to finish in the top ten next season as well. USC at 19. Kind of... Uh, out their pick. I don't trust any Pac-12 team, um, so I don't know why they're up this high. they they got to be better, more consistent on both sides of the ball. I, I would like to see them be good again. They're like Texas, where I think if they're good, it makes college football better, just with the program history and um, 
all the great players that have played there, but I'm not putting too much stock in them at 19. I think they'll finish there or lower by the end of the season. They were 8-5 and five last year. UCF going into next year ranked at 20. They were 25-1 and one in 2017 and 2018. They did fall back a little bit to earth. They went 10-3 and three instead of going, you know, they had the undefeated season two years ago and then only lost one game to LSU um, the following year. Got a different quarterback now, Dylan Gabriel. He had his freshman season last year, over 3,600 passing yards, 29 touchdowns. Um, maybe even Mackenzie Mack, Mackenzie Milton, excuse me, coming back after his huge knee injury that ended the possible back-to-back undefeated seasons. That was when UCF was in the talks about being in the college football playoff before he unfortunately got injured. They open at North Carolina. That's going to be a good, interesting matchup. 17-20. and 20. It's a ranked matchup for the first week of the season. You don't normally get that. Um, then they play Georgia Tech in September as well, and then they'll get into their AAC conference schedule. So they're going to have to win those two big games against out-of-conference opponents, and that could set them up with a huge run, especially if Mackenzie Milton comes back. Uh, I don't see them making a run for the playoff, but I do see them making a run for a possible New Year's Six bid. Cincinnati at 21. They uh, didn't. They missed out on a New Year's Six game last year by one loss, and that was to Memphis in the conference championship. They finished 11 and three. They're going to be at 21. Um, their defense is probably the best in the conference. And the only downside for the Bearcats is they did lose their really good running back, Michael Warren, the second. But um, that conference is kind of wide open. They know they got to beat UCF and Memphis, but they did that, did both of those things last year. So, and it should be a pretty good sign that they were ranked ahead of Utah, who was the runner-up in the Pac-12 last season. Utah kind of got the short end of the stick being ranked at 22nd because of their two pretty bad losses in the postseason last year in the Pac-12 title game against Oregon and then also to Texas. Um, Tyler Huntley and Tyler Huntley, Zach Moss, and Bradley Anae all have to be replaced. Uh, South Carolina quarterback transferred to Utah, Jake Bentley, and their coach has won at least nine games in five of the last six seasons, but they're going to have to prove something. I think their co- the coaching staff is on the hot seat a little bit. So they've had two really good seasons the past two years, but in the games that matter most, they don't really show up. Um, they might have a, a, an extra season just because they lost two senior cor- a senior quarterback and a senior running back, uh, and then a really good defensive end. So we'll see what happens with the Utes. But I think that they're a strong candidate to win the Pac-12 South and make a run at the conference championship. Iowa State at 23. Um, I love Iowa State. I think that they fight hard, and they're one of those blue-collar teams that don't have the best players, but they somehow always compete with everybody. I just don't know if they're going to be able to compete. Brock Purdy's coming back, and there's a lot of other returning starters. This would be the year for them to pull it together and maybe make a little bit of a run like Minnesota did last season. But I'm not sure if that's what's going to happen. They did come in ranked higher than their in-state rival, Iowa. Um, I think that's mainly because Nate Stanley has to be replaced for the Hawkeyes. But they're going to have a good offensive line in Iowa. Iowa State's going to have to... I think Iowa State will have a a decent season and maybe make a run, like I said, uh, like a Minnesota. Iowa playing in the Big Ten is difficult, but uh, if they do, if they run the table, win win all their tough games on their schedule, I can see them being top five by the end of the season. I don't think that they're going to stay around 24 unless they have a few bad losses. Arizona State and Herm Edwards' third season comes in at 25. Um... Ended up beating Oregon, which I, I was kind of pissed off about because Oregon, I wanted somebody else in the college football playoff besides Oklahoma, Alabama, or somebody else that we'd seen. Um, 
but you know, I think Edwards is doing a good job as their coach. Jaden Daniels, their quarterback, had a really good season last year, almost 3,000 passing yards, and he can throw the deep ball, I think, better than anybody else in college football. It'll just be interesting to see if he can keep them moving and playing to win the game. Uh, <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll find that real quick because that's one of the best sound bites of any coach in any press conference in history. thing about sports is you play to win the game hello you play to win the game you don't play to just play it that's the great thing about sports you play to win and I don't care if you don't have any wins you go play to win when you start telling me it doesn't matter then retire One of the more interesting press conferences, the, the 90s had a plethora of interesting press conferences from their head coaches um, in the NFL. But that's the top 25 and kind of my feelings on all of them. I, I would move a few teams around, but overall I think that it's a decent um, preseason ranking. We'll see how all the rest of this shakes out depending on whether or not it's a full season or if they uh, decide to shorten it a little bit. But I think it'll be... At the moment, I don't have too many problems with it. All right. Let's get to our NFL breakdown, and then we can get the go-home cue all ready for you guys and get you set off on the rest of your week. If you haven't been listening the past few weeks to the sports episode that comes out on Monday, I have been doing a deep dive on one team in particular each week um, on their draft picks and where I think their draft picks fit uh, moving forward into the fall into the upcoming season and then I also go through uh, their schedule and kind of loosely make my predictions as to what games they're going to win, what games they're going to lose, and then a, a soft um, record prediction Record prediction at the end. So the Browns, obviously disappointing season last year. Freddie Kitchens was turned out not to be the answer at head coach. He was much more of a offensive coordinator, um, tried to get a little too fancy and play three wide receivers all the time when they lost too many guys on their offensive line to be able to do that. All right. Let's go through their draft picks. So number their first round pick at number ten, Jedrick Willis from Alabama. Second round pick forty four, Grant Delpit from LSU safety. Third round pick eighty eight, Jordan Elliott from Missouri. Uh, another third round pick ninety seven, Jacob Phillips from LSU. Fourth round pick one fifteen, Harrison Bryant from Florida Atlantic, a tight end. Fifth round, 160th pick, center Nick Harris from Washington. And sixth round pick, 187, Donovan Peoples-Jones from Michigan. That was an interesting. I didn't realize that they picked Donovan Peoples-Jones. All right. I guess we'll just go through this in order. Jedrick Willis was a good pickup for them. He's rated out as a B on CBSSports.com. I think because he's a little bit smaller, doesn't quite have the appendages of a normal NFL offensive tackle, uh, but they did need help in their offensive line, so it's not a bad thing that they picked an offensive tackle in the beginning of the draft. Uh, it's going to be going to have to work out, and it's going to be interesting. I think that this coaching staff, the Browns coaching staff, has to be able to develop the guys they drafted. They haven't been able to do that since they came back to Cleveland, uh, and that's why they've been struggling so much. That's why they went 0-16. It's normally why a team struggles for a long time, so the coaching staff can't develop the guys that they drafted. So if they can develop Jedrick Willis, they've solidified their offensive tackle woes. If they don't, then they're going to have to continue to rotate guys in. But you got to find some people to block for Baker Mayfield and make sure that he stays upright. I also think that they could help him out with the scheme, going back to the play-action pass um, 
have, and having a big, heavy run game with Nick Chubb, who's one of the best young running backs in the league. Uh, Grant Delpit from LSU makes sense because they did lose. Uh, oh man, can't think of the guy's name from Michigan. Uh, oh man, why can't why can't I think of his name? They had a, a safety from Michigan in the past couple of years, and uh, they just got rid of him. So Delpit will come in and replace him. He's graded out as an A minus. Delpit was probably the best safety in college football last year, and I think that he's going to help out a lot for the Browns' defense, maybe get them back to that dog pound. Um, and that's what they need. They need a, a solid defense to help out an uh, offense that's still trying to find their identity. Jordan Elliott from Missouri, also graded as A-. Don't know too much about him. Didn't see too many Missouri games. But uh, they were having a good season until they kind of sputtered out towards the end. And extra depth. on I love, you, you guys know, I love depth in the trenches. And that's what this is. Jordan Elliott's another interior defensive linemen that they could put out there and spell some of their veteran guys or make sure that they always have a fresh body out on the field. It's never a bad thing. Um, Jacob Phillips is graded out as a B-. minus. He's kind of the redheaded stepchild of the linebacking core at LSU. Depending on how he works out, he could be a very highly valuable pick because he was a trade he was a compensatory pick that they got from a trade so he wasn't even supposed to be the Browns weren't even supposed to be able to draft him and they were able to pick him up I know that he had a lot of um, other interests from teams not necessarily the best linebacker at this position I, I would much rather have um, the Bengals linebacker that they drafted him for Wyoming but he's a, a nice consolation prize and I think that he can help out they need a lot of leadership on the team in general and especially on the defensive side. Harrison Bryant graded out from a tight end from Florida Atlantic graded out as A on CBSSports.com. This makes sense that they picked up a tight end uh, and it kind of gives me hope that they're going to go back to their run game play action pass type offense um, because in that offense the tight ends are big time targets and if you got a guy who can block a little bit and then also catch the ball over the middle it opens up a lot more uh, opportunities for the outside and quarterbacks always love to have safety blankets at the tight end position look at Pat Mahomes and Travis Kelsey uh, Zach Ertz and Carson Wentz we even go back to the 90s with Shannon Sharp and John Elway and then you also had Brent Jones and Steve Young so there's always guys quarterbacks love tight ends just because they're big reliable targets and they normally know how to find a way to get open. Nick Harris, center from Washington. Uh, I actually watched film on him. Um, one of the coaches that I had in college got practice film from Washington. He's very aggressive. He's graded out as a B-. He's going to need some work in the pass pro game. And Washington ran a different pass protection scheme. It's, it's a little bit too much of the sausage making if I were to explain why it's different. It's just a little bit too aggressive, more aggressive than you can be in the NFL. Um, if he can learn how to pass block in the NFL, I know he can run block very well. And uh, we'll see if he can push around some of these grown men that he's going to have to be playing against. The bad part about offensive linemen for Jedrick Willis and for Nick Harris uh, and for Jonah Williams, for that matter, who's also going to be playing in his first season in the league for Cincinnati after being injured last year. When you're playing in the AFC North, you know that you're going up against grown men on the other side of the ball. For the defensive lines, that's one of the bread and butters of that of that division. So it's going to be difficult, and we'll see if Nick Harris can stand, step up to the challenge. But like I said, he's got a lot of technique to go over in the pass pro game. And then Donovan Peoples-Jones is a dynamic receiver. Um, kind of underachieved at Michigan, but I think that's partially coaching. And he was injured for a good portion of his freshman year. But before he got injured, he was a very dynamic playmaker. And I don't think they need any more depth on the receiver position. But maybe now they can move OBJ or Jarvis Landry, or maybe even put Donovan Peoples-Jones in the slot. Um, and maybe give Baker Mayfield some more targets to throw. That's actually, I think, one of the better valued picks because he was he's probably a first through third round pick. And, first or third round talent and they got him in the sixth round 
So overall, I think it was a decent draft by the Browns. It's all going to come down to how their coaching staff handles their team and the personnel this year. But just looking at it on paper, I really like their draft. Let's see if I like their schedule and their chances to uh, do something in their schedule as much as I like their draft. So the Browns on September 13th open up the season in Baltimore, going up against the division champion from a season ago and the former MVP and Lamar Jackson. I'm going to give that as a loss. I think that the Brown, the Ravens are going to come out hot. They definitely have something to prove after being beaten <coughs> Excuse me, the last two years in the playoffs before even making it to the conference championship. So I'm going to say the Browns start off 0-1, um, and then they play primetime against the Bengals. They host the Bengals. I'm going to give that one to the Browns because the Bengals suck in prime time. So I give them 1-1 one and one through the first two weeks, and then they host the Redskins. So I'll say they start off 2-1. and one. Then the following week, they have to go to Dallas. So I think they split through their first four. I think they're going to finish the first month of the season at 2-2, two and two, which is better than they were last year. Uh, after that, they host the Colts with Phillip Rivers now. The Browns are a tough one to pick on the schedule game just because, they, like I said, their coaching staff was their downfall last year. And if their coaching staff figures out what they need to do, they're a very talented team and should be able to beat a lot of teams in the league. Um, I'll say that they beat the Colts. I think that Indianapolis is too up and down for me to consistently pick them in games. So I think they go 3-2 and two after that week, and then they go to Pittsburgh. I count that as a loss. Pittsburgh definitely doesn't lose at home. That's why they always finish at least 8-8. Eight and eight. Um, So then it drops the Browns back down to 3-3. Three and three. Then they go to Cincinnati. I think the Bengals beat them in Cincinnati. Burrow starts to get his feet under him a little bit. So that makes them 3-4. and four. And then they host the Raiders. And I think they get back to 500. Because the Raiders, I'm not sure how they're going to be in Vegas. And the Raiders are pretty sketchy as it is. Streaky as it is. Um... So now the Browns go back to 4-4. Four and four. Then they host the Texans. I think Deshaun Watson is too good of a player to not beat the Browns, even though it's on the road. It'll all depend on whether or not Bill O'Brien gets rid of any more of his playmakers. But I'm going to give that one to the Texans. So now they're 4-5. and five. Then they host the Eagles. I think they lose to the Eagles as well, so that drops them to 4-6. and six following week they play the Jaguars I give the, the Browns that game makes them 5-6 and six, and then they go to Tennessee in December that's when Derrick Henry starts to get really going if he signs a new deal uh, if he has signed a new deal by this point I haven't been able to pay attention so if he has I apologize but I think that game goes to the Titans so that drops them down to 5-7 and seven. then they host the Ravens this is their best chance to beat them at this point so I'll give it to them. I'll say they go 6-7, and seven and they travel to New York. Uh, and I think they can beat the Giants. I don't see why they couldn't beat the Giants unless they let Saquon run all over them, and Daniel Jones has a huge sophomore year. Um, so I, I'll say that they go back to 7-7, seven and seven, and then they finish out the season at the Jets and then host the Steelers. I think they're going to lose both those games. So I think they finished the year 7-9, and nine, which is a game better than they had last year at 6-10. and 10. Um, But I think this is kind of a buffer year to possibly move into the next tier. Um, I think they could still, you know, they have a chance to steal a couple games. I think that they could steal, they could possibly sweep the Bengals as much as it pains me to say. And they could possibly beat the Titans in December as well and the Jets because who knows how those two teams are going to play. And if they steal those three games or steal at least two of those three games, they have a chance to make it in on the last wild card spot. But um, I don't have confidence enough confidence in their coaching staff to be able to confidently say that they will do that. So that's my breakdown of the Browns a little bit quicker this week just because there's not as much to talk about for them. And I think that'll be it. Um, pretty tired. I'm getting up early to go lift with Dan in the morning, and then I got work all day tomorrow. 
So I wanted to get this recorded, get you guys another episode, um, get all the words that I needed to say out, and now I can start winding down and relaxing a little bit. Thank you guys for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Go follow our social medias at COAPod73 on Twitter, at Jimmy Pilato, at Proud underscore WAP on Instagram, and at Jimmy Pilato on TikTok. Um, interact with me a little bit. You guys can, if you guys leave a review, I'll read the reviews on the podcast. Um, if you rate and subscribe, it'll put us into the algorithm and we'll start to be able to gain a little bit more of a following. Thank you to everybody who supported the show so far. And if you have a suggestion of what you want me to talk about, go ahead and tweet at me or direct message me on Twitter or Instagram, something. Slide in my DMs if, I, if you got something that you want me to talk about and I haven't addressed it yet. Uh, I know a lot about a lot of things. Don't know. <laughs> I know a little about a lot of things. I don't know a lot about one thing. So I, I got plenty of. Um, opinions to spout off I just need more topics as I'm kind of running dry uh, just on the ones out of my head but we'll be back on Thursday with another episode until then have a good start to your week and we have a special outro song actually it'll be a little bit longer of an outro song but before Dom left yesterday we recorded a couple uh, our version a cover a couple covers of songs that we've been enjoying and this week's each episode for the next three because that's all we recorded uh, I'll be putting those in as the outro song so today's will be a cover of We Were In Love by Toby Keith and uh, yeah hope you guys enjoy it and please support the show interact with us and have a good week thank you for letting, be, letting me be your center of attention I'm the Italian Stallion Jimmy Pilato, and I'll see you next time
So let's find a way to bring back the days when our hearts were forever young. Rock, ready to roll. There was a fire burning our soul. All the whole world had to stand still and turn around us. Cause that was the deal And oh how those nights Went flowing like wine When I was all yours And you were all mine And we were in love Yeah we were in love